Good morning. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here. And uh, as uh, uh, Brother EJ mentioned, please do pray for the Sorets. The Bible says in Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 27 and verse 3, I believe it is, that uh, withhold not good for, from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. And uh, the Sorette family are certainly in due of much good, and uh, we each need to ask ourselves, how can we be a help and a blessing? Um, and it is our uh, great privilege uh, to, uh, to stand uh, with them and be a support to them there in Mauritius while they're here in Australia. So please continue to pray for them, and uh, please pray for us. I'll share a little bit of, more of a testimony uh, later on, but uh, it's, uh, it's a joy to be here. Actually, I was sharing with some of the young adults earlier that uh, I was a young adult last time I was here. And uh, back in those days, it was around 2007, 2008, um, uh, this church held a lot of embarrassing young adult singles get-togethers. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you still have them today. And uh, I was single, and uh, I was at Bible college praying for who the Lord would have me to marry. And uh, she was already in my church, but I didn't know it. And I'm thankful for the uh, young adult dinners and uh, opportunities to fellowship. I remember song leading at my wife's baptism, and I saw more visitors in the church than I'd ever seen before. And I said, hang on a second, uh, this young lady has a heart to reach the lost. And that's what got my attention. Then I saw her playing the keyboard, and I thought, hang on a second, this young lady has some talents that she can use for the Lord. And then uh, I saw her go out soul winning each Saturday, and I thought, praise God, she's willing to go. She's willing to go, and uh, I'm thankful that the Lord woke me up and uh, led us together. It's my blessing to be married to Cindy. And uh, we went up to Cairns with one child, and we came back with three. And uh, everything grows in Cairns, as they say. So it's been a privilege to uh, be here this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the subject of relationships from the book of Luke chapter 16. And if you're looking for a title for the message this morning, we're going to look at investing in eternal relationships. Investing in eternal relationships, Luke chapter number 16. Luke chapter number 16, why don't we stand together as we read God's word. Luke chapter number 16, please follow along with me as we look at verses 1 to 13. Luke chapter number 16, beginning in verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig, to beg I am ashamed. I resolve what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill 
and write fourscore, verse 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. That's an interesting statement. Verse number 9. And I say unto you, Jesus says, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Let's read verse 13 aloud together, shall we? On two. One, two. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. We pray that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord, use your word, we pray, to dig deep into our lives and reveal to us, Lord, what is really there so that we may commit our hearts to you once again, that you may revive us, dear Lord, and and show us, Heavenly Father, the urgency and the importance of investing our lives in the lives of others. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand your word. Give clarity, Lord, I pray, and may your word speak to each of our lives personally so that, Lord, we may resolve to leave this place obeying your word and surrender to your will for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, many of you would be familiar with the name Hudson Taylor, the renowned missionary to China. Some of you have read his biography before and may know that when he was a young man living in England, desiring to go to the mission field, he knew that while he was young, he needed to learn to live by faith. And that was the time to do it before he left. Well, at the time, He was working for a doctor, and believe it or not, he was only paid every four months. Now, how many of you would be anxious like me when those four months came around, waiting for that paycheck? Well, as you might uh, uh, assume, one day, Taylor, Hudson Taylor, didn't receive his salary. His boss forgot about it, so he was resolved not to say anything to his boss. By faith, he said, well, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'll trust God to provide, and I won't say a thing. And so he didn't. He was learning to live by faith. At that time, Taylor had only one half-crown piece to his name. And on the Lord's Day, he believed God would give that last coin to a needy family. And so he gave it away. Now, the next day, he received an anonymous gift through the mail, four times of what he had given to the poor. So you see, Hudson Taylor was learning that if he was faithful and little, God would provide for his needs. 
Then the following Saturday, his boss, his doctor, finished up work and said, Taylor, isn't your salary due again? And when Taylor found out his, his boss had already banked that week's money again, once again he was discouraged but not cast down. He was trusting the Lord. That evening the doctor visited him and said that one of his richest patients had come over after hours to pay his bill and he gave the money to Hudson Taylor who rejoiced. Now that's just a little story from Hudson Taylor's life just to help us to be reminded that that was not the end of his, the will of God for his life. Hudson Taylor was preparing for God's future will. But you see, he could learn as a young person that he could trust God with his money. And therefore, God could trust Hudson Taylor with the true riches. And that is to go to China to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 right here, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Hudson Taylor was used of God because he was faithful in that which is least. And here in the book of Luke chapter 16, the Lord was teaching his disciples an important lesson. The Lord taught this parable to his disciples as we see in verse 1. Not to the Pharisees, not to the lost, but to those who would follow him. Those who were willing to serve the Lord. We have a wonderful parable before us that will teach us the importance of investing in eternal relationships. Ultimately, whether it's missions, whether it's the Christian life, that's what God has called us to do. Amen? He's called us to invest in eternal relationships. Though it may be a tricky parable, I believe that as we look into the more difficult passages of Scripture in the Bible, isn't it true? The deeper you dig, the more precious the gold. The more precious the truths and the more important, more importantly, the more impact they have for our lives. Notice with me, first of all, let's look at the contrast in this parable. Verses 1 and 2 tell us that there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now, a steward, as, as you would know, is a servant. And he was a servant that was responsible for looking after his master's business. Today, we would call him a business manager. His boss, this master, this lord, entrusted him with all his finances. Whatever business he was involved in, the steward was in, in charge of looking after it. He also got to enjoy some of that money for his own. We also would believe that the steward had somewhere to live. But you see, the steward had a problem. The master found out that the steward was wasting his goods. And so when he came to see him, he said basically to him, show me the books. Show me what you have been doing. And when the boss looked at the books, the steward was about to lose his job. Now, we don't know what he did to lose his job. He had wasted his goods, and now he had a problem. But notice the steward's plan, and this is what the Lord focuses on. He doesn't rebuke the steward, and it's not really a lesson on being a faithful steward. The example is given to us regarding what he does next. Notice the steward's plan in verse number 3. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. I don't know if that's true. He could probably dig, but he didn't want to. To beg I am ashamed. Well, he was proud, not only lazy. He didn't want to ask 
and beg, but he came up with an ingenious plan. Now stay with me. Verses 6 to 7 tells us that he went to visit each of his master's uh, debtors, those who were in debt to his boss. He knew their names because he kept the books. He knew where they lived because he knew the information. So he went to each of their houses and he told them, look, I'm going to break you a deal. How much do you owe my master? When they told him, he said, all right, pay half and then your debt will be cleared. Basically, he said to them, pay now and pay less or pay later more with interest. Now, how many of you have ever bought something before and you thought to, us, to yourself, what do I do? All right, do I pay now and pay less or do I get the product I want and then I've got to pay more with interest? Well, these debtors were in debt, in deep debt. And so they wanted to get out of it as much as they could. And so he, in fact, halved their debt or reduced their debt if they would pay the rest of the amount in full, and then they would be free from what they owed. Now, what an amazing deal. How many of you would love your debt to be halved if you paid in full right now? I remember I spoke to a pastor who used to be in debt collection. I won't tell you who he is. And, uh, and he said to me, hey, that's what we were taught to do. Because those who were in, in, in debt so deeply and wouldn't really have a chance to pay back the full amount, let alone the interest, oftentimes debt collectors would just go, all right, pay this amount and then you'll be free from your debt. Well, this is what this steward did. Now, you might say, why would he do that? Well, you see, this steward was a clever chicken. He was very cunning. By cutting these people an amazing deal. This steward suddenly made some new friends. Would you agree? Well, he says so himself. Notice verse 4. I am resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So obviously he was going to lose where he lived if he lost his job. And by making new friends, new business friends, new potential employers, these would be the very ones that would help him once he lost his job. These will be the very ones to welcome him into their houses because he had now made some new friends. Now, does that make sense? That's what he did. That was his plan. And it was a very cunning plan. So cunning, notice what his boss said in verse number 8. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now, remember, this is not the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Christ is teaching the parable the Lord here is the boss, the master of this unjust steward. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. You know what he said? He said, I don't agree with my crooked steward's tactics. I don't like the fact that he has robbed me and wasted my goods. Though my steward is a crook, he's a clever one. That's what he said. He's a clever one. He used his wits. He used his connections. He used his time, he used his money to make some new friends so that when his stewardship is over, he loses his job. He would be set up for the future. He was a clever, though crooked, steward. And that was his great plan. Now, here's the contrast. Are you still with me this morning? All right, look with me at the rest of the verse, verse number 8. For the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. 
For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Here's the contrast. Very challenging one. The boss of the steward said, this steward is clever. What he's done was crooked, but it's clever. He set himself up for the future. And you know what he said here, which is a rebuke to us, perhaps, that this crooked, worldly steward, in his efforts, in his plans, in his vision to set himself up for the future, is wiser than the children of light. Now understand, we don't believe that this steward in the parable was a believer in God, a Christian. Why? Because he is commended by his boss as a child of this world. He wasn't a child of God. He was a child of this world who lived for this generation. He was living it up. He was setting himself up for the future. Now, hang on a second. Verse number 8 says he's wiser than the children of light. Who are the children of light? Well, have a look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Please turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at the answer to that question from the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 Ephesians chapter number 5, let's read verse 8 aloud together, shall we? 1, 2, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Here in Ephesians chapter 8, 5 and verse 8, the Bible is speaking to the believer, the born again Christian, the child of God, and a very unique description. The Bible says that ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, those who are children of God, the Bible describes as children of light. You see, there was a time when James Herrington was walking in darkness. There was a time that I was lost and dead in my sins. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because we are all wicked sinners in the sight of a holy God. Our sins have separated us from God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us can work our way up to God's standard of perfection because we are all sinners. You and I might try to do something good to try and impress God in our own efforts. But friends, we can't make up for the sins that we have committed. We can't make up for the sins that we will commit. God is a holy God and must judge and punish sin. In Him is light and there is no darkness at all. God is light. We are darkness. There is no way we can get to heaven by our own efforts, our own works. My friend, if you died today, where would you go? Where would you spend eternity? There was a time where I had no idea where I would go. In fact, I feared the worst because I knew the darkness of my heart. I knew how dark my sins were. I knew what I had hidden from others that only me and God could see. But He could see them. And I feared dying because I knew in my heart of hearts there was a judgment to come. The Bible tells us that that judgment is the eternal lake of fire, a place of eternal suffering, a place of eternal darkness, the Bible says. That's where we as children of darkness deserve to go. 
But there's some good news, isn't there? My friends, there's the greatest news the world has ever known. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Thank God that light came into the world in the face of the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank God Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God in the flesh, died on the cross to pay for your and my sins in full. And then when He rose again from the dead, we know for a fact that the wrath of a holy God against your sins and mine was satisfied by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. My friends, there is no way we can get to heaven. But thank God, He made a way. He made the only way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by Him. And on the 7th of May, 2005, when I realized how wretched a sinner I was before a holy God, that was the most fearful moment of my life. I knew I was one breath away from hell, but at the same time, it was the most exciting moment of my life because I realized I was one breath away from eternal life, that Christ had done it all. And on that day, I repented of my sins and I looked to Jesus by faith and I asked him to save me once and for all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells us each sinner that repents and turns to Christ for salvation is translated, taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed, taken over, an eternal distance from, never to be put in darkness again, translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. My friend, has such an event happened to you? Has there been a time in your life that you saw yourself as a guilty sinner before a holy God? Has there been a time in your life that you personally trusted in Christ alone to save you from all your sins? Trusting in His shed blood alone, no works of your own, but in the full payment that He alone made for you. Has there been a time in your life that you called out to Christ and you know now that you're no longer a child of darkness? You are now a child of light. My friend, if you are not sure whether you are a child of darkness or of light, can I encourage you this morning, don't leave without speaking to someone from the church here today how you can receive the gift of eternal life, how you can be placed into His kingdom and escape the judgment we all deserve. Would you do that this morning? Would you speak to someone this morning if you have a doubt, if you don't know? Thank God He is able to make us children of light. Amen? And if you are a Christian this morning, you are a child of light. You are one of His. And that's whom this boss, back in Luke chapter 16 was talking about. Come with me back to Luke chapter 16. And here's his statement once again. He reckons, using Queensland language, he reckons that his crooked steward, think about it for a second, 
is wiser in his generation than you and I as the children of light, as Christians. Now, how can that be? Think about it. Is that true? I wonder. Is that contrast really true? Sadly, we must admit that many times it is. You say, Brother James, what do you mean? Well, think about it. There are so many people in the world that are famous today. Why? Because they had a dream. Is that right? They put all their life into that dream, including that money, including all that they had, their money, their health, their, their energies, everything they had, they put into their dream and their, their goal, and they did not stop until they achieved their goal. And the world looks back at them, and even some of them who have been crooks and have broken the law have become famous in our country, sadly, because they got away with it. Ultimately, they did what they wanted and they succeeded. Lots of successful in the pe- uh, people in the world today. They use their wits, like this unjust steward. They use their connections. They use their money. And they set themselves up for the future. Think about Donald Trump, for example. I'm not approving of this man. He's a man who denies that there is a God and a Savior. He said that with his own lips. But think about it for a moment. He reached a position in in this world, in this life, where he had more money than any of us would ever see. But did he stop there as a businessman, yes or no? No, he had a dream. And he said, I'm going to put everything I have behind that dream, and I want to be the president of the United States of America. Ten years ago, that would have been an absolute joke. But look at him now. Amen? Look at him now. He achieved his goal. He achieved his passion. He put everything behind it, and he did it. Now, here's the contrast. What about the child of God? Where is the child of light, the Christian, who has as much or even more passion about the work of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ than the world has passion for their own goals in this generation? That's the contrast. Where is the child of God that has a vision for what God wants to do in their life? Vision from the Word of God. Lord, this is what you want from me. These are the gifts you've given to me. I don't deserve them. Lord, I know your plan. And Lord, I'm going to go for it with all of my heart by your grace alone. And let's see, God, what you will do. A commitment to use everything that we have, including our money, to do that which will not just bear fruit in this generation, but in the eternity to come. Could it be that this is a rebuke for us this morning? That indeed the children of this world are wiser in their generation than you and I. Let it not be said of us, amen? Let it not be said that those out there that do not know God and have not experienced His riches in Christ have more passion for their lives than we have for our Saviour and for the work of God. May it not be said. May May it not be said of this church, brethren, that you have less passion for Jesus Christ than the world has for their own things. May it not be said of us. What a contrast. And I dare say that many in the world 
believe the same thing, don't they? I wonder if they looked at our lives this morning, would they say, hey, I know so-and-so is a Christian, but man, they have less passion for God than I do about my computer games. In fact, they love computer games too. That's what they love. They love their gadgets. They love their things. They love their entertainment. They know, they know you're a Christian. And they're looking like this boss and saying, really? Do you re really believe there's a God? Well, then if you do, you'll be giving everything, amen, to serve him. Now, we know it doesn't happen overnight, this kind of surrender. Dying to self. This is a lifelong process. And I have not attained to even 1% of it. Let me be honest. But we all need to be rebuked by this contrast of the world's passion and the lack of a Christian's passion. That's the contrast. Now, here is the command of the parable. So the Lord takes this parable, and now he turns, the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak to his disciples. All right, are you ready to hear what this lesson all means for you and I? Have a look with me in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. The Lord Jesus says, And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. All right, look up here this morning. Quickly, a, a review. The unjust steward, he made some friends that set himself up for the future. Is that correct? Yes, they set him up. Absolutely. Christ now says to his disciples, I want you to go and make some friends. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Go make friends. Matthew chapter 28. Go ye into all the world and make some friends. Go make friends. How are we to make those friends? Well, verse number 9. Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Now, before you think that the Lord Jesus is saying, I want, I want, you, to make, I want you to make money your friend, look at how he describes money. What does he say? How does he, how does he describe it? The mammon of unrighteousness. Why does the Bible describe money as the mammon of unrighteousness? What about the pastoral epistles? What does the Bible describe money as there? Filthy lucre. Filthy lucre, mammon of unrighteousness. What's the point? God gives it to us to use for his glory, but he does not want us to love it. Amen? Mammon of unrighteousness, filthy lucre. Christ isn't saying to his disciples, love money and you'll make friends. No, it's the opposite. He said here to his disciples, I want you to make to yourselves friends by means of. Use what you have, what I have given to you to make friends. The steward made some friends with what he had, what he knew, to, that set himself up for the future. Christ tells us this morning as his disciples, I want you to use what you have to make some friends. Now, what kind of friends are these? Thank you for asking. Good question. Look with me in verse number nine. That when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the verses I read before and over and over again, and I thought, what on earth does that mean? I'll just keep reading and I'll find out later. And uh, isn't it wonderful, uh, as we dig deeper 
as we ask God to show us what his truths mean. We don't reach and plummet the bottom of them, but we get something more than we knew before. This is a little bit of a tricky verse, would you agree? The word fail, this is important, does not mean to be fired. The word fail means to cease, to come to an end. The Bible says that, that uh, visions, they'll fail. Tongues shall cease. An end point, a point where it comes to an end. This word fail does not mean that God's going to fire us one day. No, it means that our stewardship will come to an end. When you fail, when your stewardship is over, disciples, that's what the Lord is saying. They, these friends, may receive you into everlasting habitations. Christ is telling his disciples, I want you to go and make eternal friends so that when your stewardship is over, these are the friends. And this is exciting. This is the most exciting part of this verse. Will one day meet you and receive you into everlasting habitations. Isn't that amazing? Christ is saying, look at the steward's example. He didn't condemn him. He said, look at his example. What are you doing, disciples? What will you do? And by the way, who were these disciples? What, was their, what were their jobs? Were they high-flying businessmen? Were they investors? They had a lot of money on them? No, they were fishermen. And they'd left everything and the little they had to follow Christ. And Christ told them, I want you to use the mammon of unrighteousness to make some friends so that when your stewardship is over, either I come and meet you in the air and take you to be with myself, or you die, those friends will meet you there in heaven in the everlasting habitations of God. Authentic relationships. Christ has commanded you and I to invest in eternal Friends, that's his command. That's his will for your life and mine. We are to be friend makers. Now, the person that you witness to is not yet a friend. You are friendly to them, absolutely. But the friend that Christ is talking about is one that will meet you in heaven. Amen? Absolutely. Let's be biblical. You can be friends with someone, friendly with someone, in order to reach them for Christ, but they are not truly your friend in Christ, until they themselves have received Christ Jesus as their personal Savior. We are to go make friends, and we are to make the investment needed to do the job that Christ has called us to do. Well, what does that practically mean? Well, let me give you a few steps. Practically, that means supporting missionaries. Amen? We are to use what God has given us in the church, in the local church, yes, our money, to support missionaries who are going to places that God has not called us to go. To do what? To go and make some friends on our behalf, amen? To go and make some eternal friends. That's what they're doing. They're meeting people, sharing the gospel, seeing souls saved, seeing those saved souls discipled and built up in the faith and then sent out to reach other souls. Imagine how many friends are being made and so often we miss that point. You know, when, when Missions Month comes around, 
And you have a missions theme. So often you and I first ask to our, you know, we ask ourselves, man, how much do I have to give? How much does God want of my money? You know, we put an extra rubber, rubber band around our wallet. And we get worried. Well, you know why we're worried? Because we've forgotten the point of our lives. To make friends. Those are the things, the people, that will last forever. We can't take anything with us. Those are the ones whom we can take with us. These eternal friends. So when Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4.17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Do you know what he was saying? He's saying, thank you for giving to me. As I see people saved, that's fruit that abounds to your account. Eternal fruit means eternal friends. And that is the most exciting truth that I have enjoyed marveling in when it comes to praying for and giving to missions. Just imagine it. Will you just delight with me for a moment? I love to delight in looking to eternity by faith. Imagine one day dying. And there on the shores of the eternal habitations, you meet some people that are waiting to receive you. Amen? Luke chapter 16. They're, they're waiting to receive you. And all you knew of these people were names on a missions prayer letter. All you knew of these people were faces that the missionary printed a photo of. They were unable, never able to visit this church. They were never able to share their thanks. But one day, one day, they will be there. And so will you. And one day they'll be able to say, Southland Baptist Church, thank you for sending a missionary. Thank you for sending someone to preach the gospel to us so that we could be saved. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for praying for them. My friends, these are the true riches in the Christian life. Amen. That which is to come. These are the friends that we have been commanded to invest in. Are we doing it? Now put your seatbelts on, it's going to cost something. These kind of blessings of God, they don't come for free. God says it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Have we been faithfully giving? Have we been faithfully praying? Are we storing up, laying up riches in heaven? Or are we just wasting our riches in this generation for nothing? Eternal friends. Eternal friends. Well, we make them by supporting missionaries. We also make eternal friends by going soul winning. Amen? Hey, Christian, how many friends have you made recently? No, I'm not talking about the friends you meet here in church. Hey, they were already here and so were you. Christ isn't talking about that kind of friend. He's talking about friends that you have made. Amen? Make to yourselves, friends, by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. That takes some time. That takes some sacrifice. That takes some effort to reach the lost. It means that perhaps on Sunday afternoon, you make some time. You used to get paid more on Sunday to work. Yeah, that's a trap, isn't it? I don't know what happens now, because I'm not bothered by it, but... It's a trap. Now, it's going to cost you something to be in church. 
the lack of that income made on a Sunday. That's basic stuff. But then going out soul winning, as I saw in your bulletin. Whenever those soul winning times are, there's a cost to pay. Your time, your energy, perhaps saying no to work. Hey, this is why Christ has put us here, amen? To use all that we have to go and make some friends. If we're not doing that, we are wasting our time. We are wasting our lives. That's the parable to the disciples. Go make some friends. Go make some authentic relationships, amen, in Jesus Christ, going soul winning. You know, I'm always burdened about the neighbors we have and we pray and we try and we witness and, and uh, we've experienced, you know, some wonderful opportunities uh, to have them over in our home, uh, to cook a meal. Hey, that, that all costs money, let's be honest. To shop, to make a meal, my wife to cook, clean up the house after three kids have made a mess of it and you know how it goes and you want to be a good testimony and have them over and look, those are the sacrifices we need to make so we can sit down with them so they can see what it looks like to live in a Christian home and believe you me, they see the difference even if you're not perfect, they see the difference and then you share the gospel with them, amen? Then you preach to them about Jesus Christ, you share your testimony. That's going to take time, that's going to take effort, that will require a sacrifice. Christian, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. Use all that God has given you to make friends. Why? Because one day you and I will enter the gates of heaven and who will be there to welcome us? Christian, will you have any friends at all that you have made that will welcome you there? That's a challenge, isn't it? That's a challenge for me. Well, I have any friends that are there. How can we make those friends? Supporting missionaries, going soul winning. And then thirdly, surrendering to go. Surrendering to go. You can't take away from what Christ is saying to his disciples. He wants them to go and make friends. Whether it's where they are or further away. That's the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and make friends. Christian, where does God want you to go? I remember three weeks ago, I was sitting in church, and uh, my wife and I had been praying for a long time now. Lord, what would you have us to do? Lord, we desire to serve you. We know that this is your will, and, and Lord, we know this is your calling, and, and yet, Lord, we're just waiting. Um, we're waiting on you to show us. But the truth of the matter is that I had set my uh, vision and my willingness to do what God wants me to do to about this narrow. Now, within that gap, there were some places that I was willing to go. There were, there were some ministries that I was willing to, to perhaps uh, be involved in, places that I was comfortable with going, places that I had been to before. And the Lord had uh, given uh, me the, the wonderful privilege of being a pastor in Cairns. Uh, and, uh, and I was hungry and ready and wanting to go back into the ministry uh, to serve him, though I knew that I wasn't worthy or, or, uh, or uh, it wasn't the answer to any place, but I just wanted to do the will of God, but I had set God's will to my own limits. Does that make sense? You know, we all set limits, don't we? What we're comfortable with, where we're willing to go and where we're not willing to go. And I knew that coming back from the MBF, the Lord was going to say something soon. 
He confirmed the ministry once again to me at the MBF, and I came back saying, Lord, speak to me in your word. Lord, here am I, send me, but I, only in this space, to that limit. And then, of all people, your own missionary, Brother Gilbert Anger, preached that morning. And that morning he preached on the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez prayed and asked the Lord, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. And it was at that point that I knew that when it came to serving God, I had limited God's will because I hadn't asked him to pick up those flags that I'd stuck in the ground. And in between those things I was comfortable with doing, I wasn't willing for him to pick up those flags and say, now I'm going to take you somewhere that is beyond your comfort zone. Somewhere that is beyond your own limits. Somewhere where you have not been even considering. And I thank God for the preaching of God's word that morning that challenged me to consider the mission field, to consider leaving this country. I had thought about it in the past, but I wasn't fully surrendered. Do you know what I mean? I hope you do. Now we're surrendered to what's familiar, not what's unfamiliar. And I was comfortable with going back into the pastorate. I've been there for four years in Cairns, and all right, we'll go somewhere else. There'll be challenges, but Lord, not out of the country. And it was that very morning that Brother Francois Surrette's prayer letter was read out. And I'm sure you heard it. And how we have a burden, and we ought to all have a burden, to pray for this dear family. So the Lord joined two and two together. He said, I want you to ask me to enlarge your coasts. Are you going to ask? Are you willing? If you're going to ask, you need to be serious. And that day my wife and I prayed. God would enlarge our coasts. Not because we thought we were worthy. In fact, the opposite. Not because we deserve to go somewhere for God. But God deserves the glory. And we are commanded to go and make friends where he wants us to go. And so I have the joyful privilege of, of, uh, of knowing that for the next six months, the Lord, at least, the Lord wants us to go to Mauritius to minister there while the Sorets are ministered to here. We thank God for his blessings. We thank God for the privilege. And we are excited about going to the other side of the world. Why? Because I want to make some more friends. Amen? I want to go and make some more friends. I've seen God use us in the past by his grace, and I want to go share the gospel again. And again, and I want to see souls saved again. And I want to see new friends made again. Why? Because God deserves the glory. And God has given us what we have to use for his work, not for ourselves. He has called us to go and make some friends. Christian, are you willing to go? Now, before we went to Cairns, Brother Anger preached and he said, there is a people somewhere in the world waiting for you to take the gospel to them. That's what got us moving to Cairns. 
that somewhere people were waiting. And they were. There were unsaved people waiting in the church, waiting to be led to the Lord. And there is a people somewhere waiting for you and I to bring the gospel to, that one day will be our friends. Where is that, Christian? That's exciting. Amen? This is exciting. If they're waiting and we go and we'll make some friends by God's grace, how many friends will there be when we arrive in eternity that we can rejoice with forever? That is the exciting truth. It liberates your life from you and I of all the selfishness and the covetousness that, that so ensnares me and you to go and serve God. Well, that's the command of the parable. It'll cost you something. It'll cost you something. It's going to cost us something to go. And we are going to have fun spending it up. Amen? We are going to have fun, Brother Anger, spending it up for God's glory. Now, Christian, we're made of the same stuff. I'm no better than you. We're made of the same stuff. If we're his disciples, we need to make some friends. Lastly, notice the challenge in the parable. Now, stay with me this morning. Here are the most familiar verses to us, but so often we don't see it in the light of the verses that we just looked at. Verse number 10. Notice these contrasts. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, but he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. God says, if you are not faithful in the least, I will not allow you to be faithful with much. You will not be faithful in that. What is the least? Here's the challenge. Are you ready for it? What is the least that we can do? Notice the next verse. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the what? The unrighteous mammon. Least, much. Not faithful in the least, you won't be faithful in much. Isn't that what the Lord says? What is the least? Unrighteous mammon. Folks, Christ says if, that what we do with what he's given us, the money, yes, the money, our resources, he says if you use that for me, that is the least that you can do. Wow. There was a time where I gave to missions and I thought I was giving a lot and I thought I was some kind of hero that I, that I was doing something great for God. There came a time where I realized I was no hero at all. I was doing the least thing. I was doing what Christ expected me to do. I wasn't doing him any favors. That's the least thing we can do in the Christian life, amen? The least we can do for our missionaries is to give. Hey, that's ABC Christianity. That's basic stuff. And the reality is if a Christian never gets past the stronghold that money has on them, they will not be for, used for any greater thing in the will of God. Covetousness is a snare. Money is a snare. God doesn't want us to love it. We are stewards to use what God has given us for His glory and to go and make some friends. So, if we're not faith, faithful in our giving, our tithes, giving to missionaries, using what we have for God's glory, then there's a sign. That's what we need to do first. Get in place first. Get right with first. But here's the exciting thing. If we're faithful in that which is least, Christ says that you will then be faithful in that which is much. Have a look at verse number 11. 
If you, if you therefore have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, would you agree with me? That sounds good. Doesn't it? That sounds good. The true riches. All right, so if money is the least and Christ expects us to be faithful with it, we will be faithful in much and we will be faithful in the true riches. What does that tell us? Well, the true riches isn't God giving you more money because you gave. No, no, no. no. That's not what he's saying. What's the context? The friends, brethren. The true riches in the Christian life are like what Hudson Taylor experienced. You see, he was faithful in that which was least. He learned to trust God with what he had. And you know what God said to Hudson Taylor? Now I want you to go. Now I want you to go and make some friends. He knew that God would provide for his need. But now he would enter into the true riches of the Christian life. Fellowship with Christ. Launching out by faith, knowing God. Hearing answers to prayer and seeing them fulfilled. Seeing souls saved. Whether you go to the mission field or whether you stay in this mission field, God wants you and I to experience the true riches, but we won't be able to unless we are faithful in that which is least. The unrighteous man. Christian, can God entrust you with more? Not more money. More privileges. More responsibilities. Being involved in the work of God. Notice the next verse. Verse 12. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Again, the contrast. That which is another man's. That's what God has given us over here. The unrighteous mammon. It's his. It's not ours. In the context of the parable, everything we have is from our master. Amen? From our Lord. Amen? We are stewards. We need to be found faithful doing that which is least at least. And then we will be able to be used for much more. And the Bible says, Who, he shall give you that which is your own. That which is your own. Brethren, I cannot begin to plummet the meaning of that verse. That which is your own. Well, we know when we step into eternity, Christ will say, I want you to reward you. I want to reward you with that which is your own. Amen? I want, you, I want to reward you here at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to reward you for making friends. And I want you to see that which you will enjoy for the rest of eternity. Rewards beyond belief that you and I cannot possibly imagine in the eternity to come. That which is your own. God will not only entrust you with greater joys and responsibilities here, but there in the eternity to come. Notice the last verse, verse 13. The most familiar. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Either you're serving mammon, 
or you're serving God. Either you are unfaithful in that which is least, or God is now leading you with more to be faithful in much. Either you will never receive that which is your own and will stand ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ, or you will experience the true riches. And the exhilaration beyond description of being welcomed into everlasting habitations by the friends that you have made. Christian, authentic relationships. Will there be any when you enter heaven? the ones that you have made by the grace of God that you have gone to with the gospel, will they be there? Or will you enter heaven friendless? Let us not be like what the world says we are. Let us not have less passion, less commitment, less investment in the work of God than the world has for their own things. Amen? Let it not be said of us. Let us therefore go and make some friends with what God has given us. And then let us be faithful with what He has given us so He may entrust us with more, whatever His will may be for our lives. Let's look by faith to heaven at the joy that is awaiting each child of God that obeys His word. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet this morning for a few moments. As we stand, let me encourage you to consider what the Lord has spoken to you about. My friends, Christ is a loving Lord. What an honor and a privilege we have to be his stewards. What a joy it is to be entrusted with his wealth so that it may be multiplied unto the lives of others who need the gospel. Christian, are you busy about making friends? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, let's take a moment to respond to God's word.